This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is August 17th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. I am Kathleen Shortis, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 2004 till 2008 as an undergraduate, and I came back as a community volunteer probably about three years ago, 2019, 2018 maybe. Okay. Okay. Um, While you were at uh, WRH, what shows or programs did you work on? Well, I was at Radio Hofstra. I did a lot of Newsline. Um, I probably did Newsline weekly, if not multiple times a week, the entire four years that I was an undergraduate. I also worked on the Rock and Roll Oasis. And then uh, we launched the Alternative Nation. I was actually the first person on the air to do Alternative Nation when we changed the program schedule. So I did that show a lot as well. Nice. Okay. Did you work on any of the weekend shows or public affairs programs? Yes. Uh, I volunteered uh, when I would do just like an engineering spot. I would do the Irish shows. So Eileen Cronin and Tony Jackson, an Irish country. (laughs) Always a good time, those shows. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Did you have any titles or positions at the station? Yes, I was the assistant news director. Uh, Then I became the station manager in 2007. Okay. Um, While you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames or aliases? So the sports department, (laughs) uh, at some point I became K-Red and uh, it was one of uh, the person who became my program director when I was the station manager who was on the sports department. One day just they were doing one of their uh, spring preview shows or something and I was probably the only listener still at like one o'clock in the morning and he just kind of offhand was like, Oh, well, K-Red says this. And then after that, that was it. And I was K-Red. My maiden name is Reddington. So when I was at the station, I was Kathleen Reddington. And so it became K-Red. So a lot of the times I was K-Red. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I was wondering where that where that was coming from. Good day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So let's get to you starting at the station. This is a two-part question answer whatever makes sense to you. But I always want to know, what was it that first brought people to the station? And then if you could describe what it was like or where the station was, or maybe people that you met when you first arrived at Hofstra Radio. Absolutely. So I have kind of a little bit of a roundabout story of how I got into the station. I feel like, especially now, a lot of people are like, heard about it advertised, heard about the Islanders, super motivated. This is like their light goal. I just kind of showed up at Hofstra. I had a little bit of a hard time, probably, uh, my senior year of high school, uh, just like, you know, normal high school, whatever, didn't, friend group kind of didn't end up panning out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And my boyfriend in high school at the time uh, was going away to school. So I was kind of a mess. And I actually applied to Hofstra after the deadline. So here I am, now I'm going to Hofstra, uh, like 10 minutes from where I grew up. (laughs) And I went to freshman orientation, which I wasn't super jazzed about going to anyway, because you had to stay there for the three days. And I'm like, I literally live 10 minutes from here. Why do I need to stay here? Uh, 
but whatever. So they had like a dance or something or a dance party, the one of the nights of the orientation. So everybody is, you know, out socializing and getting to know each other and dancing. And I was feeling kind of like, just like off in the corner, like, you know, my boyfriend's not here, like whatever. And um, they had, WRHU had a table set up with applications and they were like, apply to be at the radio station. And I was like, well, if I sit here and I fill out this little application, then I won't have to talk to anybody and I can just be very involved in filling this out. And so there I was, very, I just gave these lovely answers to all these questions. And um, I didn't really even put two and two together at the time. But uh, when I was growing up, my parents, I like I could tell you everything about NPR in the 90s. That's we solely listened to public radio. My parents were like, uh, very into like that, you know, kind of music that was off of the mainstream. And, and my father like, worked in, uh, you know, event production um, at a concert venue in the city. So like I kind of had this kind of background without even realizing it. So I filled out this application, gave it to the girl at the table and completely forgot about it. And then about a month or so later, Alicia Battinelli <laughs> called me and she was the personnel director at the time. She was like, oh, we went over your, your application for WRHU. Would you like to come in for an interview? And I had completely forgotten about it. But I was oh like, you know gosh. what? Yeah, I will. I will come in for the interview. And I completely got lost and turned around on Hempstead Turnpike and was late for the interview, for which Bruce gave me a very good talking to about how that's not how radio works. And, you know, it's a bad first impression. And here I am literally had barely just turned 18, like a couple weeks before this. And, um, you know, just was a new driver as well. And so I sit through this interview thinking like, well, was nice while it lasted. And they still picked me <laughs> for whatever reason. I guess it wasn't so bad. And uh, that's that's how I got into the station. I was a first semester freshman year training class, uh, took the training class. You had to have a 90 to pass. I got like a 90.5 <laughs> and I got in and history was made. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's, that's, that is quite a story. I, I, a number of people have said, you know, whether they were there in the 60s or 70s or whenever, that the radio station became sort of a refuge when you didn't really feel it, fit in in other places or you didn't know where you belonged. And here you are at a dance, at a social, looking right. for some sort of refuge and filling out <laughs> the form and not even realizing that would that would turn into a thing. That's really, I that's love really that. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but that's true because oftentimes when I tell the story to other people, I'm like, when I was sitting in that conference room at WRHU, like surrounded by like my, my true friends, I was like, you know, last year at this time, like I was 10 minutes away, like getting bullied in high school. Like wh why wasn't I here? But yeah, you're right. I was, I used the forum, even the application as a refuge. <laughs> Well, it must have been a, a you must have done pretty well on that on that application for them I to have so. called you in and gone <laughs> through all that uh, that other stuff. So so the in the interview process, so that was Bruce and Alicia. Do you remember anybody else being it in was there? Bruce Cassidy Pignatello, I believe, who was the program director. And I guess it was must have been Alicia. Alicia was the personnel director at the time I applied. She be, went on to become the station manager, I guess, the next year but I think it was the two of them in the interview. Okay. Do you remember anything that they asked you or any of your responses other than Bruce giving you that, that sort of <laughs> I lecture Bruce, about me? Yeah, Bruce lecturing me about being late. And then I remember them being like, well, like, why do you want to do radio? Or what do you like about radio? And not, unfortunately, like at the time, like just not really having an answer because like I said, I, I hadn't really 
put the two and two together, but I was a journalism major. So I, I mean, I figured it all kind of tied in. Uh, that I kind of specifically remember, but I don't really remember um, too many of the questions because the famous part of it is that that Bruce Bruce yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that that is a great start. That's an auspicious start there. And, and so, you know, they invited you back, and you came back. Despite I came so, back. I guess it Just wasn't to that pester bad. Bruce. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, so so they call you back. I assume there's some sort of uh, training program, engineering, announcing. What 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 went into getting you ready to be on the air? Right. So by the time I was a freshman, uh, they did have the training class. That's the mandatory training class that everybody has to take. Um, that came in when Bruce started. I think Bruce started that. So a lot of people that were had been at the station then had to take it. So at the, by the time I was there, everybody that was joining the station was required to take the, I believe it's like a six to eight week training class uh, that's taught by the station manager, who was Andrew Falzone at that time. And um, you have to take a test at the end. There's a written test and then the practical exam. And you have to do a certain amount of tracking hours in order to, you know, fit, pass the class and then become a full member of the station. And then you do that in that whole semester that you're you're um training in so in my case it was my first semester freshman year so I like I said I took the, the written test and you have to you know memorize the the motto of the station WRHU exists to provide you know pre-professional development to all qualified Hofstra University students and and you have to you know what are the call letters what is the legal ID what is you know the, oh, a wet drop a dry drop all that stuff you need to know and then the practical exam uh, is when somebody takes you into the studio itself and then you have to demonstrate that you can do the things behind the board. And I believe I said that Cassidy was the program director. He was the music director. Nick Grafter was the program director. And Nick Grafter gave me my practical exam. And at the time I was a freshman, we still had to show that we could use the, the turntables for the records, I think because some of the shows, some of the community volunteer shows still used records. Um, so you had to, you know, show that you could be behind the board. And so Nick gave me the test. And then, um, you know, when you had to come in and, and track what, which is basically just a shadow or, or observe somebody do their slot. And um, so I actually, I think I did my last uh, observation hour with Andy Gladding. Uh, which was also pretty auspicious because Andy Gladding, I think, was the super senior at that time. He was finishing up that fall semester and he was still doing his slot. So I was in there and I remember somebody saying to me, uh, it might have been Cassidy, like, oh, they were having like a, a, a review class for the test. And he was like, actually, you're probably going to learn more in here with Andy than you are in the <laughs> review session. So you should stay here. And that was, so I do remember that. Yes. Uh, which was a lot of fun. So you got to meet a lot of people that way, too. So. Um, yeah, I definitely learned a lot. So then, then you take the test and then once you pass the test, you're invited to, or you were invited to the, uh, holiday party. That was your official, you pass the test and you go and Bruce shakes your hand and gives you your certificate. And then you get invited to the holiday party and you get to go and be an official member of WRHU. Oh, interesting. I don't think I've heard of that. Uh, I guess that's for the fall semester at least. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of fun. That's nice. It was fun. 
did you did you take that opportunity to say by the way i remember what you said to me or, or did yeah you let right it go? Uh, i let it go probably at that time maybe when i became station manager i was like remember remember how we first met bruce <laughs> <laughs> um so i want to go back a little bit because you said you know you grew up sort of in an npr household and radio and music were were part of you know, growing up and, and you must have had an awareness of it. When you got to Hofstra Radio, when you got to these classes, did that meet with your expectations or was it different? How did that work out in your mind? Um, it's, I feel like it's a little different. Um, just, uh, I feel like because we had so much control over it, I wasn't really considering like, oh, what my parents are listening to and what we were doing kind of being the same thing. Right. Now, as an adult, I do see the connection. But at the time, as like a teenager, I was just like, oh, this is what we're doing. And I wasn't really thinking of it in terms of like, uh, you know, how I grew up. Like, I, that's something I th- feel like as as I, uh, you know, as you can reflect on your own life, like, you know, hindsight, I was like, well, this obviously makes the most sense. Like, you know, but um, it, yeah, I can. I mean, there's definitely like, obviously, the correlation, like public radio is public radio. Right. <laughs> but um. I, yeah. I guess, just, did, you, did you have an idea of what a radio station would be, what it would look like? And, you know, you walk you know, into Dempster Hall. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I think I had an idea of it, even if I wasn't aware of it. I remember the first time, you you know, when you have to get announcing cleared, um, they would have you read some news copy. And, you know, I read it, whatever it was. And... Ed, Ed Ingalls was there. It was Ed and Nick. And they looked at me and they were like, oh, you've done this before. And I was like, no, I've never done this before. But they were, but when you grow up just hearing, my parents are to the, I mean, my father's passed away, but my mom to the state, like they always have the radio on, like the radio was always on my, you know, he, my dad would fall asleep listening to the radio, even if it was, was just 880. So you hear it. And once you hear what it's supposed to sound like, you know what it's supposed to sound like. But I didn't realize that other people don't know what it's supposed to sound like. So they're, when they're reading copy or whatever, it doesn't come off naturally until they realize what it's supposed to sound like. So I think that definitely affected me in that way because like I, I kind of knew like, you know, it, it was kind of like a coming home for me, but I don't think I necessarily put two and two together in mm. that way. How interesting. Do you remember getting on the air the first time by yourself? <laughs> yes. Uh, it was for Newsline. And uh, Ed, so I was I was living very locally. So I could, you know, like I was literally like zipped on the Meadowbrook. I was there in like 10 minutes. So obviously that at the time, is, or it still is beneficial when you're at the station because once it's break, they, you know, the local people have to fill in the gaps for when everybody else goes home for Christmas or whatever. So I finished the first training class. I had gotten announced and cleared during the training class and Ed had invited me to do Newsline uh, while I was still in the training class because some people, uh, I guess if Ed felt like they were all right enough to do that, they could you know, just read the copy on the air to get them, you know, get their feet wet. Mm-hmm. So he asked me to come in for a Friday Newsline, Friday Newsline being the the hardest one to fill obviously because nobody wants to be you know it was like 4 30 on a friday uh but i did not know any of this so i was like wow i get to so like call my mom like you know <laughs> put the radio on so um i'm 
I'm ready for like this like whole organized thing. And I don't know, Friday news line was always just faded. Something was going to go wrong. So I assume I just walked in there that day and they were like, oh, great. Somebody for them training class this year kind of thing. And they were trying to busy, trying to get it on the air. And, um, you know, they gave me like one story to read. And then something must have happened. And I I think her name was Jasmine Della Santos. If, uh, that was the news director. And she was trying to do this news line. And she... I don't know something must have happened and then all of a sudden she was like can you read this and she gave me the entire business report to read for the when we did the business news like a whole packet of coffee and I was like as the news line was going on and I was like uh, I guess and that was that was my first time into news line I read like a three sentence story and then I had to read the entire business report cold <laughs> and I never looked back <laughs> wow Wow. Were, you, were you nervous before getting on or were you just excited? Uh, honestly, I don't remember. I was pretty nervous, I think, about like showing up there and being like, hey, did you uh -huh. really actually want me for Newsline? Did Ed really mean it when he said it? You know? <laughs> well, I was trying to get a sense of, you know, getting ready and you're going to read this one story and then the emotions like what happens when they hand you that and say yeah Go. no it's definitely like nerve-wracking for sure but I was definitely more nervous when like I was sitting then I I got it you know I read my thing and then I was done and I'm just like observing them doing newsline and then she's like plop here's a packet of business copy and then that made me nervous uh because I obviously was doing it cold I must have been able to like you know pre-read my other little story that I had done prior to that Wow. So could you talk a little bit about Ed Ingalls and, and he gives you this chance, you're still in the training class, but he puts you on the air. Um, what was meeting Ed like? What, what were your impressions of, of him? I love Ed so much. I miss him so much. Um, I think about him all the time. Um, I know that when we started the training class, Bruce gave a whole spiel. I don't guess Ed wasn't in that specific meeting that time about how Ed was coming in and like reads all of, you know, Ed's amazing, you know, talks about Ed's like amazing resume and the thriller in Manila and all that. And, um, you know, he's like, not, you know, kind of like, Oh, well, he's not going to be around for that long. Like, and I don't know why he said that, but, <laughs> um, you know, have a diet cook with him sometime, like this whole thing. And, and then, you know, Ed came in one of the weeks to do his bit in the training class and, you know, he talks about himself and, I mean, to know Ed is to love Ed, uh, regardless of, I feel like, who you are, what you wanted to be, or what you were doing. But um, then, like I said, so I knew he was somebody important. And then I was like, when he was like, oh, you know, wow, you know, you can come do Newsline. I was like, he likes me. <laughs> uh, but then... He, like he was just the thing about it is that he was so genuine and he was so real with the students like he didn't care that he was Ed Ingalls like he was just connecting with people and that's what he liked so he was always on the level with everybody like he you know just talked to you like he was going to talk to you um respected everybody kind and friendly and genuine to everybody so that's what kind of draws drew you in to Ed and um so yeah so then after that I would come in every Friday and a lot of the time especially once like you know it was in Christmas break or summer break it would just be me and Ed me and Ed spent a lot of time in that little old newsroom that's it's not there anymore down the end of the hallway where they made the big news hub with the big glass walls there used to be uh two little offices 
and one was the old newsroom and we spent a lot of time just doing newsline but it turned out ed lived in freeport ed actually lived like five minutes further from where i was coming from (laughs) yeah and I, i didn't i did not know that before and um i was telling my dad once and i was like when i first started i was like oh and and ed ingles and he was like you mean the ed ingles and i was like pretty sure there's only one but i i, I guess so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so it, yeah it was definitely it was um i mean ed ed went on to be like a, a or he was a very big mentor to myself and my husband so i'm i mean in years past, like he spent Thanksgiving at our house. We were very close with that. Wow. Um, yeah, everyone's got wonderful stories about him and, uh, I'm, I'm sure you could go on, but I wanted to double back for a second. You mentioned the, the, the news office or the news room. Yes, at the, the time was, could you give us a picture of, cause I just talked to someone about the old music office in Memorial hall when we were there oh, okay. and it was tiny and we'd pack all <laughs> kinds of people in there. Could you give us a sense of what that room was like? So the old newsroom was, I don't know what it had been used for before, but it was like literally, it must've been like, like the size of the little professor's offices. Like, cause I think Ed's, office was actually next to that at one point he moved offices and i'm pretty sure it was ed's office and then the newsroom if i remember correctly and it's the first it was the first two sets of doors at the back door of dempster hall when you came in that back um there and it was so the newsroom itself was it had like one table with computer and an old school dot matrix printer that we were still using it was old and it was like 2004 and I was like this thing is a relic so it was it was like you know probably left over from Memorial Hall at that point and um then there was two computers on the other side of the table and then there was a glass window that you could see into I guess the other classroom at the time that was that was on the other side because there was a classroom on the other side of it and and that's literally like two three people max that we could fit in there like at any given time with the chairs and like sometimes we'd have to shove more people in there but it was teeny tiny hmm it's a it's a running theme in the history of Hofstra radio that we are or packed into very small spaces yeah. and have to make do. <laughs> and we were always trying to steal spaces and and uh, Bruce would always be trying to fight with the admins like no we need this space you can't have it <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, who else was helpful in getting you started at the station? You mentioned Alicia and Cassidy and Nick and Ed. Who else was around that was helpful? So at the time, um, Andrew Falzone was the station manager, and he was obviously great. Um, he had been, that was his second year as station manager. He had been station manager the year before that, too. Um, and then they were kind of like already like the, the older kids at that point. Um, there was a, like, yeah, Andy Gladding was still there. Um, Josh Harmon was there. Josh Harmon was one of the first people I ever did like an observation hour with. And he, he, he was on the sports department um, as well. There was a lot of uh, guys in the sports department that were there that have gone on to like big things since then. Um, But yeah, it was, it was the thing. The thing was that everybody was so friendly and welcoming that I, I just, it, 
it, like you said, it became that kind of a refuge of a space, especially like I was saying, I had kind of come from the place I was in, in high school where I wasn't really in a great headspace and to have all these people just be like so genuinely like welcoming and friendly um, where I hadn't really experienced that before was really nice. And so I didn't feel like that social anxiety that I would feel like anticipating going to do X, Y, or Z at the station would kind of melt away. Hmm. I remember um, Bruce had us, when you were a member of the station up until a couple of years ago, actually, they had what was called private service hours. So everybody had to complete, I think like 10 hours. It was just like volunteering around the station. So if you were going to alphabetize CDs or if you were going to cover someone's slot or you were going to um, volunteer at a, at a marathon or something like that, that would count for your hours. So I was kind of dreading it, to be honest, because I was like, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And they were having, I guess it was the Irish marathon. So I'm Irish. Figure I'll show up. And uh, I go and they were like, I just anxiety. I don't, who am I going to, I don't know these people. Like, what am I going to do? And, you know, somebody was just like, oh, well, this is the paper and you answer the phones and that's it. And it was just so nice. Like everyone was just so nice. And I I was like, this is so fun. Like I'm having a great time doing this. And, and that's, you know, so that's how kind of like I got my start. Like once I realized I was like, okay, these people are nice and I'm having fun. They can't get rid of me. Now I'm stuck with them. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's a, I, I love that. Um, when do you think you started to feel comfortable on the air? I mean, it could have been right away when they, they throw this business report at you and you, you handle it. Or was there another moment where you thought, yeah, I can do this. I, I, I want to report the news. I want to read the news on the air. I think as far as like being on air in that capacity, yeah, like doing Newsline, I probably got comfortable right away. I that part wasn't a challenge for me. Engineering wise was a little bit more of a challenge. Like being behind the board was a little more challenging for me, or I was more uh, like hesitant to do it. One of my, that, that gave me more, that, that gave me a lot more nerves. The first time I ever just engineered a slot because you had to be announcing cleared and then you could do newsline, but you couldn't do like your own show. Like I couldn't do rock and roll oasis and announce and run the board at the same time. You had to be combo cleared to do that, which was you had to make a tape and that gave me a ton of anxiety. So that you could engineer and not talk or you could announce and like do newsline and not run the board, but you couldn't do both unless you went and got yourself cleared by the music director to do that. So the first time I just ran the board was actually for Tony Jackson and Irish country. Wow. And it was, it must have either been the start of like maybe the spring semester or something or something like that. And his regular engineer, I guess, or maybe it was the start of summer. I forget what it was, but his regular engineer had, Jen had graduated and he was wondering, he, it's Tony and Maureen. You get the package deal. Maureen wasn't on the air, but Maureen was always with Tony, keeping him, you know, under wraps. And uh, Tony takes one look at me, and he looks at Maureen, and he's like, "Where's, where's Jen? Where's Jen? This isn't Jen." And Maureen goes, "No, I told you, you know, Jen graduated. This is the new engineer, and he did not want any part in this new engineer because he, you know, he business. He wants his show to go smoothly." And, and he looks at me and goes, well, what's your name? And I go, Kathleen. And he goes, of course, it's Kathleen. This is the Irish show. And then I had to engineer this whole hour and a half for him. And I was 
petrified that I was going to mess it up. But um, I guess it went fine. I still friendly with Tony and Marine to this day. So I, I guess it was all smooth, but it was that, that was terrifying to me. He, he's quite a showman and he's, <laughs> his, his show was, was always a lot of fun to do, but it could be a little intimidating because oh, yeah, he, it was a really slick show and you, you yes. he was demanding, but he was also, I think, really cognizant of the fact that new people were coming in and he had to teach them you know, how to do right, it. Right, exactly. So he had broken somebody in and then here I was, we had to start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it, it worked out. Um, we, we, we have the benefit of hindsight. And looking back at things, these these experiences, the relationships that that you formed, and the friendships, um, so it's somewhat easy to look back and recall these things. But uh, can you go back in your mind, and maybe it's the time that you did the interview, or maybe you know filling out that application. Um, but can you go back in time and and tell us what you were thinking? What did you hope Hofstra Radio would be when you started, and what did it become? So honestly, I, like I said, I kind of just showed up there one day. I don't know that I hoped for anything specifically. I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I just was a benefit of just absolute, I don't know what you want to call it, grace, luck, (laughs) um, that it ended up working out the way it did for me. Um, just even being at Hofstra, like I was kind of just showed up, like I said, and, and it ended up becoming, I mean, it ended up changing the entire course of my life. And I don't mean that even in like a over-exaggerating kind of way. I literally changed the entire course of my life. If I had not filled that application out that day, if I had not ended up at Hofstra, like everything about my life as I know it today is completely different. So um, I can't say that I went in there with like any great hopes other than that I figured, well, I'll do this and I'll see how it goes. And then it turned into this great turning point, a life changing thing that it ended up being. That's fantastic, Kathleen. That's Oh, I love it. Um, thank you so much for sharing your stories and your time. This was this was really a lot of fun. And uh, and uh, I hope you have more stories. I'm going to come up with more Oh, questions. I have a ton of stories. <laughs> all right, I got well, all the dirt on the sports department, too. Don't you worry. Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I feel like that's going to be a separate podcast. <laughs> Probably. Road trip stories and then the dirt on them. <laughs> I think I think we could we could uh, yeah I, that might be subscription model we may have to there you go it. there you go <laughs> thank you so much for doing this this was a lot of fun thank you I appreciate it.